Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. The story of the prodigal son is one of the best known, perhaps the most replicated story in the whole Bible. The plot is well known. Amy has told the story today. A beloved son is lured away from home and after squandering the inheritance has a moment of conversion. In the return, he is met with a surprising welcome from his father. The story has been repeated in countless books, movies, songs. Whole books have been written about the many uses of this biblical story in literature. To name only a few of them, the theme runs through C.S. Lewis's tale, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Ann Tyler's novel, A Spool of Blue Thread. It's found in the poetry of Kipling, the music of Prokofiev and Britain. Maybe a little closer to home, you find the story parroted in classic rock and roll, heavy metal, and hip-hop. The Rolling Stones, Iron Maiden, and Kid Rock have all recorded songs entitled Prodigal Son. Buddhism has its own version of the prodigal, and the story is so familiar. I mean, what family across every age has not had its own prodigal? There's no reason to think Jesus himself had not heard some version of this tale before he made it into the iconic parable it has become. Jesus lived in a mostly illiterate culture, so storytelling, the oral tradition was essential to the communication of truth, the passing on of wisdom. And the Jewish practice of midrash, which essentially amounts to telling stories about the stories in the Bible, has long been a practice of, of the rabbis. How do you convey the greatest truths in the world? You tell a story. And how do you emphasize a theme of forgiveness, of reconciliation, of compassion, of grace, amazing grace? Well, you tell of the boy who took his daddy's money and wasted it on prostitutes and poor choices and then had that moment. Maybe not an honest moment of repentance as much as just an honest moment of desperation. So he returns home, hoping to become one of the slaves, but is welcomed instead as one of the very most special guests. Grace. Undeserved. It's a powerful story. The younger son and his brother have much to teach us today. The obvious lesson, the fodder for many a pulpit-pounding proclamation is the temptation to be lured away by what some preachers would call the lust of the flesh, wine, women, and song. Even, that kind, uh, even though that kind of preaching has become a sad cliche, of course there is some truth that those attractions have ruined a lot of people, prodigal sons and daughters alike. The more realistic lesson, however, and one that may tempt more of us might be the temptation to scorn home, however we define that. The goodness of childhood, the simple truth of our religious training, the values of civility and courtesy, decency and dedication, people over things, God over money, 
There is for some people a need to dismiss faith and family in exchange for the glitter and glamour that seems more sophisticated, more cosmopolitan. Some need to escape. Some need to escape home, the routine of real life, the reality that for most people, most days are just filled with mundane work, the mundane task of getting up and doing it all over again. Nothing more exciting than that. The job has to be done. The kids have to get to school. The bills have to be paid. The grass has to be mowed. Some are tempted to try to escape that reality But the good life is not to be found outside of the routine, but precisely within it. In her book called The Quotidian Mysteries, Laundry, Liturgy, and Women's Work, Kathleen Norris speaks of finding God in the midst of the daily tasks, not in escaping them. But some need to escape the routine. Others need to escape the hard work of the long-term committed relationship whether that means a relationship with a partner or a spouse, a relationship with a co-worker or neighbor or extended family. Building and maintaining relationships are difficult, and some people flee home because they've tried and failed, others because they're just not willing to try. Some leave home because the grass is always greener, so they say. Of course, that's rarely true. The younger son found this out, seeing the so-called sophisticated world, experiencing all that was not home, gave him the courage to reassess, gave him the honesty to come to his senses. Some say you can never go home. Others know that home is where they have to take you in. So some are tempted to leave for various reasons. But there are other temptations in this story. One is the temptation to see the older brother as the truly faithful son, the steady, sturdy, faithful one who was mature enough not to be lured by the glitter of glamour, the bigger and better and brighter. But the older brother might have been succumbing to a temptation of his own. Many people may be lured by that temptation, more to that temptation than the temptation of the younger brother. There is a nearsighted temptation to believe that the faithful always stay home when the truth is that many who never leave just lack the courage to step beyond. It's the temptation to believe that what you have is all that you need, that the way it has always been is the way it should always be. It's the temptation to believe that your way is the only way. That what you see, everybody else should see, just like you do. And there's a temptation to build an entire theology, an ideology around conserving the way things are and blaming everybody else for anything different. But the world isn't changing because there's some conspiracy of wicked liberals orchestrating a hidden agenda to wreck everything. The world is changing Because the world changes. The world always changes. And some, maybe like that younger brother, are willing to explore that changing world. And some, like the elder brother, don't want anything to change. 
and are tempted to believe if you stay home, everything can be just like it's always been. But the elder, that supposedly faithful son, is the one who is carefully rebuked by the loving father. Yes, you have been with me, son, the father says, but you seem to have forgotten grace. The writer of Luke's gospel says, Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming to listen to Jesus, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them a parable. It's the soapbox of the prophets of Israel, and the parables of Jesus continue their message You have forgotten the covenant. You have forgotten what it's all about. I loved Amy's telling, but I'm not sure Jesus' telling evokes so much laughter as it did angst with the people he told because he offended their religious sensibilities. The grace he suggested in the parable In line with the Old Testament prophets, he said, you have forgotten what it's all about. You have forgotten that God is a God slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. You have forgotten grace. So Jesus told them a a parable. The truth is that most people could not and still cannot hear Jesus' message. As I was reading commentaries this week, I was just struck in the face by how little has changed in the 2,000 years since Jesus offered a story of radical grace. We still don't get it. Most people have never cared for that kind of God, if we can just be flat honest about it. Religious people. Maybe, sadly, especially religious people have never had much room for a God of actual love, of real forgiveness, of true, unlimited grace. That's why they killed Jesus instead of embracing his message. No, we have never cared for a God of actual love. Ask Jonah who was so angry that God would forgive the Ninevites that Jonah would rather have died than to preach the good news to those pagans. Ask the ancient Jews who took God's gracious calling to Abraham and turned the grace of blessing into the elitism, the exclusivism of being the only chosen people, they thought. Ask the disciples who wanted to call down fire on their Samaritan neighbors rather than to accept them into the fold of God's welcome. Ask all those white Southern Christians who could accept the murder of Martin Luther King Jr., if not cheer it outright, but who would not accept that all people really are created equal. Ask the world today. Ask our culture if the Christian church, as it is represented by some of the loudest voices, is speaking compassion and welcome to all. Does the church today sound like Jesus? 
Does the church today offend with the grace of a God abounding in steadfast love? Does the theology preached to the culture at large a theology of grace, a theology of a God of steadfast love? Is that what the world is hearing? One of the central features of Jesus' ministry was his table fellowship with tax collectors and sinners. Those sinners did not mean in that day what we think of that word. As some of the Jews parsed the holiness codes from found in their scriptures, certain people were to be excluded by those codes as they interpreted them. Tax collectors, prostitutes, adulterers, extortioners, idolaters, Samaritans, Gentiles, these were the sinners. The outsiders in that world, the sinners, every one of them were the ones who routinely enjoyed the welcome and the acceptance of Jesus. So Jesus told them a parable. Now, to contemporize the situation, we might have to see Jesus sitting at a table with, I don't know, Muslims, undocumented laborers, members of the trans community, those with AIDS, the homeless, the members of every marginalized community in our society. We would have to see Jesus including them every time and casting a brutal criticism on the most vocal of our so-called Christian leaders. That's why the parable was offensive. The people didn't laugh when they heard Jesus tell the parable of the prodigal son. They got the message. Theologian Marcus Borg says Jesus' idea of holiness was not separation, was not religious purity. Borg says Jesus offered an economy of mercy that extends to all, especially the outsiders. Especially the outsiders. His command to love enemies points beyond the exclusiveness of the holiness code to a, kind of to a kindness and a compassion which is all-encompassing and unlimited. A kindness and compassion which is all-encompassing and unlimited. I am afraid that the reason people are running from the church today at such an alarming rate is that this does not sound much like the message of Jesus. What they hear does not sound much like the message of Jesus. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow eats with sinners. So Jesus told them a parable. For all those tempted to leave, for all those tempted to stay, for all the wrong reasons, and for all those inside and outside of the church who are still offended by grace, Jesus tells a parable that we need to hear today. May it be so. Amen.